Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus. My name is Shailesh, I'm the COO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host David from across the pond. How are you today, David? I'm good, Shailesh. How are you? Very well, very well. So this is the first one that we're, we're doing and you may be asking what, what this show is and and just to kind of frame it a little bit, you know, the aim for us here is to kind of look at football in the context of sporting directors, you know, delve a bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. You know, we're hoping to inform you, educate you and ask some thought-provoking questions to give that deeper insight that you may not see elsewhere. You may be a fan, a scout, involved in player recruitment, a club exec or even a sporting director yourself. So thanks for here, being here with us today and uh, we really, really appreciate it. So David, let's get started. Now, you know, you're obviously... I guess, a little bit obsessed with sporting directors from what I can see. You know, hopefully you'll forgive me for that. Um, what, what's the number now that you've profiled? I think it was 125 the last time I looked, but is it going up and up? Yes, yes. It's always, I would say every week you can safely add on two or three. And just for the sake of, you know, um, not being obsessed with charting the number, um, I believe it's at 137 right now. Um, so, yeah, 137 directors profiled and that's sporting directors directors of football technical directors academy directors that's brilliant that's brilliant and i'll, I'll put the twitter handle in in the show notes afterwards so you can actually find david and, and follow the great work that he's doing but before we delve a bit deeper uh, you know we, we know the role is complex right but but let's just start a bit basic you know for those that may not be so familiar you know in all your research and profiling you know what what is the role you know what is the main responsibilities if we were looking at it from a, like a 30,000 foot view you know how does this role fit within a football club yeah so that is that is the question because depending on the league depending on the culture depending on more importantly the club that role can be vastly different the sporting director for uh Brighton Brighton Hove and Albion has a completely different job than the sporting director for Juventus or Paris Saint-Germain, right? Uh, on, on paper, uh, they do some of the same things, but every club has a different setup. And quite frankly, every club has different resources. So the best way that I've found uh, to articulate the, the role of a sporting director is the role of the sporting director is he's essentially the the the, the the chief executive, the CEO of that club. So he's making sure that, A, the right people are coming in. Um, he's also making sure that they're, I'm just going to use the word profitable, not necessarily to talk about the business side of it too much, but he wants to make sure that they're profitable. And C, or the third, <laughs> A, B, and then C, the third part, which in my opinion is should be the first, but just for the sake of you know conversation, he is the chief lieutenant for that club's identity. He has to be at the vanguard of what that club stands for. So whether it's youth or whether it's their local community or whether it's an ideal just as far as what they believe in as a club, bigger picture, that sporting director has to be that person. That's that's a great explanation to, to start us off with, and, and I appreciate that. And, you know, you... Over the over the coming weeks, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be honing in and focusing on various parts of the role and and looking at you know people that are in the roles and hopefully get some guests on 
during that time as well to kind of explore a bit more. But but for today, the words that you know fit in alignment, right? That is what we're talking about today. So you know, and we're going to focus in on on Andreas Schicker, who is the sporting director at, at Sturm Graz, um, and we'll delve a bit deeper into him and how it fits, but. When we talk about fit and alignment, what are you actually talking about there, David? Yes, fit and alignment, it is not, I didn't create the term. It's not something that I would ever trademark or patent. Patent. Uh, however, it is It, it is this mindset, is this philosophy of everything that happens from the bottom of the organization to the top of the organization is communicated and it is um, executed as one right so at the end of the day um most people don't like hearing this but football clubs are businesses they are organizations that a lot of assets whether it's monetary or otherwise flow through when we take a step back and we look at other sports which is um one of the threads i've done that uh I mean, I honestly want to share more is that a lot of our best practices in world football can be found in other sports and other businesses. And um, I mean, I'm biased. I'm American, but uh, we have a all of our sports have a GM, or <clears throat> excuse me, a sporting director. And then underneath that GM, there is either assistant GMs or scouting director, or farming director, depending on the sport. And all of those facets of the recruitment and the coaching staff are aligned together. So there's not a, to use somewhat of a, a, a better example, there, your, your academy is not going to play differently than the first team. And if you have a more Pep Guardiola possession style, juego de posicion type of um, philosophy, we're not going to get players that fit more into Jurgen Klopp's uh, Gagan pressing or Ralph Ragnick's heavy metal football, right? It's not that those players aren't good. It's not that those players aren't uh, viable. However, we want to align our ideology, our philosophy, playing philosophy with our recruitment. If we can do that, the teams that we consistently see in the uh, Champions League group stages, but then even more discreetly, uh, maybe not discreetly, but uh, when we look at smaller teams that do well, it's because they have aligned their recruitment, their technical staff, and their, um, I'm going to call it their their club identity, okay? And the manager, the manager is the second most important person in the fit and alignment uh, scenario. Yes, you have your sporting director, director of football. He ha He orchestrates and he manages it, right? However, the manager, the first team manager, is it's important that he is on the same page as a sporting director. So it kind of flows through. Uh, maybe a better example is hands in a glove, right? You have five fingers, usually. Um, you want to make sure that the recruitment, the, uh, the uh, playing style, the manager, the youth setup, and then I'll even throw in for, for the fifth finger, the pathways, whether it's through the academy that you set up or players that you bring in, you want to make sure that the players that you have access to fit into what your end goal, your objective is. And that objective is not simply, well, we want to win the league or we want to be in Champions League or what have you. 
um, the best clubs, like, uh, you know, say FC Lorient or FC Norshalen and, and Denmark, they have a bigger ideal. And that ideal is what drives and it compels players and managers to be a part of their club. I'm assuming Sturm Graz and Andreas Schick are obviously forward in that mold as well. So going a bit going a bit deeper now in, in, into that. So Andreas Schick, I think he joined Sturm Graz in, in 2018 as a chief scout before becoming the director of, of sport in May 2020. You know, Sturm Graz obviously one of the, the most prominent teams in Austria. What would you say about him and the club that fits in with the fit and alignment, you know, can you tell us a bit more about his story, about the attributes he brings, which allows the whole fit and alignment thing to take place? Yes, definitely. Andreas Schicker is one of, uh, I like a lot of sporting directors. Obviously there's over 137 of them that I profiled. His, his story is to me, it's compelling. Uh, So at the end of his playing career, I don't know if it was his last season or second to last season. Uh, he lost his left arm in a fireworks accident, right? Uh, so when he was able to come back and play, I believe, and I might, I need to check up on this, but I think he was the first, at least in, in Austria, uh, he was the first player to play with a prosthetic. So his left arm is a prosthetic uh, from the, I believe the elbow down, a forearm down is a prosthetic. So you're talking about somebody who has, um, a courage and a commitment that is commonly spoken about in sports, but he hasn't shrink from view, if that if that makes sense. Um, the second part of it is Sturmgratz is, is, is always going to be uh, second uh, for the most part in Austria, simply because Red Bull Salzburg is in the same league. And Red Bull Salzburg, if you look at the, um, if you pull up transfer market, and you clicked on Austria. I do this almost every day, but you, you click on Austria and then you click on squad values in Aust- Austrian Bundesliga. The number, the, the spread, the variance between Aust- uh, Red Bull Salzburg and Sturmgratz, which is number two, is immense. Immense. So I say that to say that there, there needs to be a financial competence in recruitment. And Andreas Schicker has that. Um, they know how much they can spend and they know where, I guess me even more importantly, they know where to find talents that can produce on the pitch, but then be able to be sold on for hopefully profit. So he is um, very keen at keeping a, a squad balance that is, how do I say this? He, he's very keen at, at balancing succession planning with squad planning in a financial competent way. Is that something that you, you feel he's he's learned or has he taken inspiration from others? Um, you know, I think uh, he gave an interview last year and he, he mentioned a couple of names. And I'm just curious as to generally in the mold of sporting directors, are they looking at others from which they're taking these ideas or are there other elements involved in, in that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, Andres has said it himself, uh, they, they model a lot of what they do after Red Bull Salzburg, right? They, they understand not only the playing style and, and where to, um, look for talent, but more so, uh, and I need to write about it more, share about it more. 
he has Shikar has discipline in what works, right? And that discipline in what works is it, it might be the secret sauce in being a director, simply because uh, there's there's always going to be another player. I know everybody loves Erling Holland right now, and they're well within their means. But there's going to be another player that is, that is going to catch our attention here in the next three to five seasons, and he's going to be the one. Uh, we were royally spoiled with Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo for the better part of almost 10, well, what, 15 years, you know? Uh, and that's 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 a blessing. However, when it comes to recruitment, when it comes to, dare I say, squad planning, um, what you see very quickly if you match up the transfers in and out versus the performance on the pitch is that the clubs that are consistently led by a sporting director who has discipline in who they uh, acquire and when they sell them on, you know, later on, those are the clubs that have built a, um, forgive me for using financial words to a degree, it's my, my industry, but they build a moat around their club. They make it to where they're, they've gotten profit in the past, but then they're also getting access uh, to players prior to them, um, dare I say, being more popular. One of the uh, one of the, the the hidden intangibles about being a club that is able to launch players on, uh, i.e., Red Bull Salzburg or Sturmgratz or FC Nordschlin, um, Brighton now uh, FC Lorient. One of the hidden intangibles is that now those talents are searching for you. If they have an offer between, um, and I don't want to disrespect any club, but if they have an offer between other clubs who don't have as good a record of launching uh, young talents, they're going to choose you simply because you've done it before. You know, Uh, to to talk about Rasmus Hoyland. um, So I cover... I cover the Danish football league and, and Rasmus, he played, I mean, he played well when FC Copenhagen would play him, but they wouldn't play him a lot because, you know, they, they're probably the best team consistently in FC Copenhagen. I know that some Danish people will be mad at me for saying that, uh, but they have the most resources, but there also is a lot of pressure to qualify for champions league and to win the league. You can't necessarily always play an 18 year old in that setting um, unless you are forced to. And Rasmus, to his credit, bet on himself and took the opportunity to go to Austria. And whatever the the end of the um, the financial details that FC Copenhagen will get over time is it is what it is. But Schicker and Sturmgratz and then their coach um, uh, Ilzer, um, they were able to leverage a a profile that was ready to play. So in the span of I think it was. Um, less than 11 months, he goes from the FC Copenhagen uh, youth team to FC Copenhagen first team to being on the bench, not playing a lot, then going to Austria. And then six months later, he's in Italy with Atalanta. So that ability to see talents that just need a platform, a team to play in, um, I'm not saying that Andreas Schicker is is the best at it or the only one to do it. What I'm saying is it takes a courage and discipline to repeat it. He did the same thing with um, uh, Kevin Yeboah, who they sent or sold to Genoa as well. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I think the, the Rasmus Hoyland um, rise is definitely one of the things that I think Andreas Schicker is uh, very well known for. I mean, just just for people that may not know, you know, he he went from FC Copenhagen to Sturm Graz for just shy of two million euros, and and I think six months later he went for just shy of eighteen million euros. So that's a pretty good return if you're thinking profit. But what it sounds like that allowed Andreas Schicker to do was then further invest that into players to help grow, I guess, create a platform. And like you said, for young players or emerging players to be associated with clubs like this, where they can, I guess, launch their careers, it becomes very appealing. So is that what you think Andreas Schicker is in the mould of now, a sporting director where people go, yes, he's at a club and I know that he can help me maybe elevate my career because he has that fit and alignment within his club structure but that is one of the principal things they're trying to do. Yes. Um, I've been saying a lot about dirty secrets uh, this morning. One uh, one of, I don't know how dirty of a secret it is. I, I think that at the highest level, say at Real Madrid, or even at Chelsea, uh, you, you see uh, ownership that wants the best young talents and is willing to pay for it, right? So what does that mean for clubs that are not at the pinnacle of, of the, the food chain? It means the same thing. It, it always boils down to talent and being able to find talent. Uh, one of the questions I, I get uh, frequently is, you know, uh, from younger um, uh, people on Twitter or, or what have you, hey, I, I'm a scout or I want to be a scout uh, and, you know, I, I want to be a sporting director one day. What's What would you say is the most important skill? To me, again, all due respect, I'm not a sporting director. Um, I I've just researched a ton of them. The best ones can recruit and identify talent before everybody else. And before everybody else is honestly disingenuous, it's more so that they have the courage. They have the courage to spot out and identify talent and launch them before everybody else. So what Schicker is very... I mean, if you think about it, in Austria, you have Red Bull Salzburg with Christoph Freund, who I think is top five. I mean, we had a previous conversation in the business. He's one of the best in the the Champions League, Europa League, uh, let's call it, bucket. But then you have Sturmgrass with Andreas Schicker, who isn't that far away. They just don't have as, as many resources. And when you start to unpack what is present in Sturmgrass, it's very, very apparent. He, as in Schicker, is very good at squad planning. He has his manager. They've had the same manager, I believe, for almost two or three year, years now. Um, Ilzer, I'm, I'm blanking on his first name. It's either Stefano or Cristiano, I forget. But they have Ilzer as the first team manager. And they also, I mean, yes, they're, they're getting young talents from around the globe um, that are at academies or clubs that they're not getting minutes. They're not getting uh, minutes on the pitch. But they also have a very competent uh, academy and youth setup, right? So when you when you take a step back and you look at um, Andreas Schicker and, and what he's built since he's been in the role, he he's building a uh, I, I like to call it he's building a machine. He's building a machine, a recruitment machine, where. It really matters. The, the it really matters that you continue to fill it with talent. Now, whether that talent is in house, i.e., the academy setup, um, that's going to be uh, quote unquote cheaper in the long run. 
However, uh, I said it earlier, there's always going to be talents that that need a place to play. Not everybody. I mean, look, look at what Brighton have done. Um, that A lot of their talents have played at uh, uh, Union Saint-Jolais in, in Belgium. You know, um, the Sturmgratz is a perfect place to, especially for attacking talent, it's a perfect place to get minutes and prove that you are a talent of repute. And Schicker is he's done a good job of carving out uh, his his own corner of space as far as being a, a destination place in Austria for young talents. It's interesting. So, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like he's got an eye for for that recruitment side, and obviously, being a, being a player and then going into scouting and then going into the sporting director seems to be a transition which makes sense logically. Just going slightly outside of um, Andreas, is that a, a common route that you see a lot of sporting directors take? Or is it very different? Like it can be anything really. Could I be one? I guess is the question. It's a great question. And that that is, it's, it's always a corollary or, uh, to, you know, how do you become a sporting director? And to answer your question, yes, 100%. Um, now there's a level of dedication and, um, obsession that you and you know, not being a a former player would need to um, immerse yourself in uh, however when I when I look at all the when I look at the the above, I'm gonna say this and it sounds really bad when I look at the above average directors the the, the main element to them is a commitment to uh, talent. When I say commitment to talent, I mean they know how to evaluate it and how to find it. The other things such as, you know, the, the financial end and, and dealing with agents and having a network and, um, you know, the, the more business corporate side of being a sporting director. In my opinion, as somebody who runs a business, I, I believe those things will come to you. You know, you 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 acquire them in time. However, what is. I, to me, where the rubber meets the road is quite simply, can you find talent and can you identify which talent? And this is the part that takes time. Can you identify the talent that would work best in your setup? You know, I, I can name drop a lot of sporting directors, but just to keep it com- compact with Shicker, what they've been able to do. And I've shared uh, threads about this is that uh I mean, it's almost diabolical that he even said it in an interview. I don't know why he said it, but he, I think he's fairly confident that nobody has the audacity to, uh, to nick it off of him. But he literally said, look, I want, we want young attacking talents uh, that will score goals because goals are very important. And then we're going to have a spine, four to five players that are mature, who know what we do here, who will uphold the culture. So you think about that. That's maybe five players out of 11 that he's already earmarked in the squad. The remaining, let's just say six, obviously, in the starting lineup, but the remaining six to, let's say, 15, maybe 18 to, to fill out the first team squad on match day. Those are all moving parts. And it depends. It depends on performances and it depends on, obviously, health and injuries and what have you. However, if you don't have, and let me let me stop right there and say this because I, I, it needs to be said. Yes, I focus on sporting directors and technical directors and directors. 
However, no director does it all by himself. They can't. They won't. And if they are doing it by themselves, it's only a matter of time before they fail miserably simply because one person in today's football cannot manage it all. The only, and I think it's more legend than anything, the only the only director who really only does it all by himself um, with varying results that I've seen is um, in a top five league is Ilitade at Lazio. And that's a different that's a different setup. That's a different conversation. Uh, as far as being, getting back to the main conversation, as far as being a director and being able to be competent and being able to go from, say, player or pedestrian or business owner or analyst in a non-sporting environment into a sporting environment, I think it can be done. Uh, that might be sacrilege, but I think it can be done. It's just more so an immersion and obsession with talent. Uh, when we look at... Florentino Perez and what Real Madrid has done over the past five to seven years, they've been able to get Vinicius. They've been able to get Endrick. They've been able to get Rodrigo Goes and prioritize getting that young, in this case, specifically Brazilian talent, because that talent in their setup is priceless. So if we scale it down to Austria with Andrea Schicker and their setup, they know that if they can get a, I mean, think about this. If they can get a top five league uh, center forward who can score 10 goals, who is 19 years old in the Austrian Bundesliga, he will pay for himself and he will make inroads into all their objectives in the next two to three seasons. It, it sounds to me like his clarity of mind is one of, I guess, the key things to what's made him successful, I think, at Sturmgrass, you know, with especially with the squad planning, knowing exactly what he wants and not deviating from that in a football world where there is so much noise from from all around, right? I mean, we could probably look at other clubs which maybe haven't acted in a similar fashion and they now have bloated squads and playing styles which probably don't align up. And I won't mention any names, but you can probably add them to the comments, I'm sure. Um, but would, would you say that clarity of mind is is something unique for him and what else would you say other clubs could maybe learn from his approach um you know to kind of get to a similar level not in terms of winning leagues and things but just the actual fit and alignment operational side within a club to make everything i guess sing harmoniously sure sure uh for the record i i don't have any i don't have any uh hesitation in naming names but <laughs> go for it go for but, it tell us one uh, no, I mean, I, I think the, the, the elephant in the room is, is, you know, Chelsea amassing talents upon talent upon talent. I mean, if you get Jao Felix and Mudrik and Enzo Fernand, I know they don't all play the same position. I understand that. But when you amass talents like that and you already have talent in the club, uh, it, it, it it's a pathway killer. But more so to your question, um, what Shicker and I shared a thread about this. What Shicker, so you and I, who never played football at a high, uh, world football at a high level, what we cannot appreciate is the locker room, the the changing room. We can, but we can't, right? Uh, and what Shicker is very keen on is that when you have harmony and you understand squad balance from a player's point of view, and now you're an executive or director's role. What you're very keen on is making sure 
that that culture and that motive of what you know what what did you tell that player when he came in um um I'm making this up. I don't have proof. Uh, I'm sure that if you were to ask uh, Andreas or Rasmus Hoyland, they would probably say as much. But I'm fairly confident that one of the major points of uh, conversation before Rasmus Hoyland came into Sturmgratz is like, look, uh, Rasmus, you're you're a talent. We don't expect you to be here more than two seasons. Right. What does that do? For the player and his, um, let's just, call, I don't want to say his entourage, but the player the, the player and his family, what that does is it, is it tells them that, okay, this club, this director understands that we're talented, we're too talented to stay here, right? It's kind of, you know, pumping them up, bigging them up, right? But also it tells them that you, like, you need to perform. You need to perform and we will help you get to where you want to get to. Um, I shared a thread from Shicker where he said he's, he essentially said that he doesn't he doesn't like being around the, the changing room too much um, simply because he wants that to be the players. Um, he wants that to be their space. But he also said something that I appreciate as a former player in another sport where he said, I also learned that by by being being present, being around and not being in the player space a lot, even though I was a former player. It allows me and allows them to know that, like, this is a business, okay? Yes, you know, we value, no, we're not going to give you a contract extension. You need to get over it and still come into work, still come into training. Or no, that transfer didn't go through at the, you know, at the at the gong, at the bell, at the end of the transfer window. However, we still have objectives that you and we agreed upon, and we're going to complete them together. It reminds me of Brighton and uh, Moises Caicedo um, earlier this transfer window, or sorry, in the January transfer window where, I mean, what young player doesn't want to go to Arsenal, whatever clubs that we're saying, right? Let's be honest. I mean, what, like that, that is, that is normal. However, the conversation, and I, I think, uh, I don't know if I've shared, yeah, I believe I have shared them with uh, Paul Barber at Brighton. That's not the plan. That was not the plan that they went over with Moises. So the ability, and I, I said it a couple of times, that that discipline to understand the lines between business, let's call it camaraderie and culture, but then also the objective. What what is the objective? Because let's be brutally honest, if Sturmgrass doesn't reach Champions League, if they're not at least second in the league, people are going to be moved on. Players, managers, staff. So we we need to hit our objective so that we can keep that status quo. And I, and I think that's that's key, right, in an organisation. And I think that's what's so fascinating about the sporting director role and its place within an organisation from from a business background. And when I think about the way he operates, it, it, there is a lot of correlation between the way other, I guess, managers would operate in an organisation who are, I guess, central to the success of that organization. So that's one of the most fascinating things that we're obviously going to be looking at over the coming weeks. Just to kind of wrap this up now in terms of, um, you know, Andreas has obviously made a name for himself. I mean, how far do you think he can go, David? I mean, you think he can sort Chelsea out? (laughs) Uh, Does he want to sort Chelsea out? That's the (laughs) real question. No, uh, you know, I'll be honest. uh, It's... When you see when you see the inner workings and you dial it back, 
multiple seasons or years, depending on the director, there's you can see you can see a lot of potential. Um, he said as much that he would like to go to the Bundesliga in time. I think he, I think he'd do well. Um, uh, the thing with uh, Germanic uh, language leagues is that, it, you know, it, it's not that you're you're capped, but those leagues are. How do I say this? Uh, culturally, their their clubs are run very tight and very well. And I don't know if he would want to step outside of, say, Austria, Switzerland, Germany. I don't know, um, but I could see him at a mid-tier um, club uh, in the Bundesliga. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to project and disrespect those in roles, uh, but down the line, five to ten years from now, a club at a level like, say, Borussia Mönchengladbach or Werder Bremen, or even, you know, when I look at uh, the two Bundesliga, like uh, an HSV, a Hamburg, or um, I don't want to say Kaiserslautern, but clubs that have immense fan supporter bases, but then also have likewise immense uh, uh, objectives or desires. You need somebody who is not only good at uh, acquiring talent, but they're also good at maintaining that balance as far as squad balance and then financially being healthy. Uh, one of the reasons why I like looking at um, directors in smaller leagues is that they're usually playing that balance better than most because they have to. If they're not financially sound, they the, the, the on-the-pitch uh, product is going to be good in spurts, but it's not going to be sustainable. Uh, however, when you look at, say, Sturmgrass specifically, this is year four. This is year four. Well, actually, it's long, longer than that. Prior to Schicker, they were they were good as well. But since Schicker has been there, they've they've been vying for the title in Austria for the majority of each season, which is unheard of since Red Bull um, came onto the scene. But yeah, I think he can. I'm fairly confident he could be in a top five league. Yeah, I think so too. He seems to seems to have the attributes for it, and you know, there's a lot for us to unpack here. And you know, thank you, David. Um, there's definitely more scope to expand on this in in future episodes. You know, looking at sporting directors that may be at so-called smaller clubs where they're wearing multiple hats. That's where they fit. You think of a startup environment in business. You know, people are more suited to that than maybe a big corporate space. You go to a bigger club where there's lots of people, lots of voices in the room. So, we'll we'll look at which ones have transitioned um, into those types of roles or had that journey in the, in, in the coming weeks, you know, and, and it's been a really insightful conversation, you know, a reminder, you can, you can follow David on Twitter. Um, you know, he's got loads of good threads. We'll put them all in the show, show notes. Uh, please also keep a lookout on our get football media outlets where we cover European football and world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape. You'll see a sh- link in the show notes to that as well. And, and lastly, we want this show to be of value to you. So it would be great to hear from you with any feedback you have or any questions so we can improve the experience for everyone. Lastly, just have a great day and hopefully we'll see you on the next one. Take care.